0: Well, this is our final Advent-themed sermon of the year. It's our final sermon of the year altogether, and it's the final introductory letter in the book of Revelation. There were seven letters, and this is the, the last one. If you've been with us, I know we have a, a small number in here who haven't. We've been each Sunday of Advent reading one of these introductory letters in the book of Revelation, and we're approaching it like listening to Jesus— for what he wants from his churches. We don't want to just get wrapped up in giving gifts to one another at Christmas time. We want to remember Jesus, the reason for all of this celebration, and we want to give to him what he wants. We want to be a church that pleases him, not just at Christmas time, but all the time. And so here we are, the final letter. Like all the others, it begins with an introduction about Jesus, making sure the recipients understand who this is. That they're hearing from, and it's been really helpful for me, and I hope it has been for you to have each week this recalibration of my understanding of who Jesus is now that he's no longer the baby in a manger, and he's no longer on the cross dying for our sins, and he's no longer dead in the grave, that he is alive, he is resurrected, he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is glorified. And as we'll see in our introductory verse today, verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3, he is the very center of the universe. He is the center of everything. So let's begin just by reading that first verse, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, The beginning of God's creation. Now, I imagine each of you at some point, maybe during your childhood, had to be told that you're not the center of the universe. We have from an early age a tendency to assume that we are the center of the universe. And it's understandable in one sense because everything that you know and perceive is from your perspective. You see the world through your eyes. You hear the world through your ears. You live your days as the main character of your story. And so in your mind, and especially as a little child, it makes sense to you that everything should revolve around you. But as you mature and grow up, you begin to learn that that's not the case. The universe does not revolve around you or me. And here we see who it does revolve around, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of the universe. He is the center of reality. He is the center point of everything that God has meant to do with creation. So let's look back at what he says. He refers to himself as the amen. He is the affirmative answer to everything God has said he would do throughout the Old Testament. He is the, that is true, he is the fulfillment of all the hopes of God's people and everything he said that he would do. He is the faithful and true witness in A world where we have so much input from so many sources, none of which are 100% reliable. Jesus is. He is the one sure and certain faithful witness, the one source that we can be sure 100% of the time is 100% true. And he is the beginning of God's creation. That means he is the foundation and point of all of God's creation. So even just there right now, it is so helpful to recalibrate our understanding, even of reality itself. It is not about Matt Broadway. It's not about you. It's not about Doolin's Grove. It's not about the United States of America. It's about Jesus. And so we want to listen well to what he has to say to his churches, and we want to respond well. And here we are this last Sunday of Advent we want to once more listen to him and figure out what can we give to Jesus? What does he want from us? This is like reaching around under the Christmas tree and finding one more gift after you thought they were all already opened, and the carnage is all about in the living room floor. There's one more gift here that we can give to Jesus. And first, what we'll see as we get into verse 15 is something that Jesus does not want. So first, we're going to see something he does not want from his churches, and that is lukewarmth. He does not like lukewarm churches. So let's read and see what what he means by that. Verses 15 and 16. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So picture a really hot day. We practically had a really hot day yesterday on Christmas Day. First Christmas I've ever had to turn the air conditioner on, on Christmas Eve. Now picture a really hot day, upper 90s, hot, humid, and you're outside working hard, sweating, doing some kind of outside labor. And you come in and open the refrigerator, and there is an ice-cold Gatorade. I don't know if you like Gatorade or not, but when you're really, really hot, that, that actually even sounds good to me, and I usually just drink water, but... It's a Gatorade. It's one of the yellow ones. That's my favorite flavor. Yours maybe is the red or whatever. It's there. It's so cold. As soon as you take it out, it's condensating and dripping everywhere. And you're so thirsty. You haven't had any water since breakfast. And there it is. It's ice cold. Just imagine how refreshing that would be. That's one end of the extreme, one end of the spectrum. Now, imagine it's a cold, wintry day. It's Christmas time, and there's snow flurries outside, and you go into your kitchen and you make a fresh pot of coffee and you pour it into your mug and it's hot and steam is rising up out of it and the mug's too hot to even touch. You know it's going to be just right to drink. Imagine how comforting that would be, how good that would be. Now imagine that Gatorade and that cup of coffee sitting together side by side on your kitchen table for three weeks. Completely room temperature now. And now you're going to come and drink the Gatorade or now you're going to come drink the coffee. It no longer sounds as refreshing as it did for that Gatorade, and it no longer sounds as comforting as it did for that hot cup of coffee. Have you ever had your spouse have a cup of coffee like from the morning, and they put it there, and then later in the day, you thought it was your new hot cup of coffee, and you take a drink expecting a hot cup of coffee, but it's a room-temperature cup of coffee? Your instinct is to spit it out of your mouth. That is Jesus' instinct when one of his churches is lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. He feels about that church the same way you feel about that cup of coffee. He doesn't like it. Jesus is not happy with all of his churches all the time, and when his churches become lukewarm, he wants to spit them out of his mouth. Often we Christians are satisfied with just not doing anything wrong. I'm not committing any big, grievous sins in my life, and so I'm okay. But Jesus doesn't just want you to not be rebelling, He wants you to be zealous for Him. And the in between state of I'm not doing anything wrong, but I'm also not really doing anything right is lukewarm, and it's displeasing. To Jesus, and we want to please Jesus. He is the center of the universe. He is the reason we were created and this church was created. Now, before you start to feel condemned and start to feel lousy, well, I know I'm not as zealous as I should be for Jesus, let's read on and make sure we understand exactly what he means when he refers to being lukewarm so we can respond well. Let's read on into verse 17. Here's his explanation of the situation in Laodicea. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You didn't get any Christmas cards this season with this verse printed on the inside. I know this is an odd passage for another Christmas sermon, but it's good. What we learn as we get into verse 17 is that lukewarmth, is, is something specific in this passage? It is a lack of motivation to receive provision from Jesus Christ. That's the lukewarm that he's talking about. A lack of motivation to receive blessings and provision from Jesus. Why would we lack motivation? If Jesus is, is this fountain of living water blessing to his people. Why would his people ever lack a motivation to receive that? We have in our kitchen, on our table right now, a small mountain of baked goods of all variety. We have uh, coconut macaroons dipped in chocolate on the bottom. We have chocolate truffles that were homemade. Chocolate truffles, really rich, good, like ganache chocolate in the center of them. Uh, We have white chocolate macadamia nut cookies. We have classic Christmas sugar cookies. We have pretzels that have been dipped in chocolate. Um, What else do we have? We have those those cookies that are Ritz crackers, and usually they have peanut butter in the middle, then they're dipped in chocolate. But in this case, it's actually like a, a cookie dough sort of filling. We have those. We have some other stuff I'm forgetting right now. And so you better believe every time I walk past that table, I eat something. So imagine me you know, walking past that table three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11 times as dinner time approaches and I am full on all these sweets, just completely stuffed. And then Meredith says, Hey, it's dinner time. I made a nutritious, well balanced meal. Come to the table. Well, I might lack motivation to go and sit down and eat that delicious, wonderful, nutritious meal. I don't lack motivation because I don't believe it's good. I lack motivation because I have a false sense of satisfaction. I have filled myself up with sweets, with things that don't actually nourish or really help me in any way. And so now I don't have an appetite for the feast that's prepared for me. That's what's going on here. When we have a false sense of well-being gained from the temporary, shallow pleasures and provisions of this world, we grow satisfied and we lack motivation to receive the eternal, deep-down, soul blessings that Jesus offers us. And that's when we become lukewarm. It's the combination of a false sense of well-being and an ignorance of our true, deep needs that empowers a church to be lukewarm and just coast along without feeling any zealous motivation to go to Jesus in prayer, or in the word, or as a church. We have many ways of providing for ourselves. And so we don't go to Jesus for provision. We have a lot of avenues for self-care, so we don't go to Jesus to care for us. We have Google. So we don't go to Jesus for wisdom. We become unmotivated. We have a lot of ways of hiding our true selves and what's going on with us, and so we don't go to Jesus to clothe us and cover us in his grace. We don't feel we need Jesus. That's when we become lukewarm. Jesus has everything we need, and he wants to give it to us. That's what we find as we read on into verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus has everything we need. If we would stop filling up on the empty provisions the world gives us, We would feel that need, and we would go zealously to Jesus to fulfill it. That's the equation that Jesus is laying out. It's possible that you could gain $100,000 in addition to what you have saved up right now or what you're earning. You could go home after church, and it could be one of those stories where there was just an anonymous envelope in your mailbox, and there was $100,000 in there. Just imagine for a minute what problems that would solve. It's possible that you could be $100,000 richer than you are right now and still be poor in the truest sense. Do you think there are people who are extremely wealthy and have no financial need for anything who are still spiritually poor, miserable, wasting their lives? Absolutely. It's possible that you could get a whole new wardrobe Somebody could give you a shopping spree, a blank check shopping spree, and you can get all the best clothes that exist. Did you know that they call clothes drip? Drip. It sounds stupid for me to say. Uh, I I was with somebody who's a lot cooler than I am, and uh, he was talking about getting some new clothes, and I said, "Uh, that's an interesting concept. I've had this shirt for 15 years that I was wearing. And he said, uh, "He said it might be time for you to re-up on some shirts. You need to get some drip. So it would be possible. I don't know why I'm sharing that with you right now. <laughs> it would be possible for you to do that. Blank check, shopping spree, all the coolest, newest, best-looking clothes, fits you perfectly, et cetera, et cetera, and still be ashamed of yourself. Do you suppose there's anyone who has worked tirelessly to look and appear like they have it all together who's actually still ashamed of themselves? Absolutely. It would be possible for you to, to read all the newest books and, and all the latest blog posts and all the latest research and to, to become as knowledgeable as one could possibly be and get a PhD and yet still remain spiritually ignorant and blind. Do you think there are any really well-educated, knowledgeable people whose minds are subjected to the futility of this world and who still remain foolish and ignorant of the very most important things? Absolutely. Now, money and clothes and education are not negative things, but they do not satisfy our deepest needs. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy our deepest needs. That's the point that he's making here. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute. I don't know if you're thinking this or not, but I think that you could. If you, think, if you dwell on this long enough, you might logically come to a point in your thinking where you would say, well, if I need financial provision and I pray for that at church and then I go home and there is a check in the mail, let's say it's one of those stories where it's, a, it's an anonymous check for the exact amount that I need for that bill. Is that not Jesus providing for me right there? Could that not be the way that Jesus is taking care of me. Well, there's a simple test that I think comes from this passage to know if you are zealously pursuing Jesus to fulfill your needs or if you are satisfying your needs through the shallow means of this world. And that is, does it bring you closer into fellowship with him or not? What Jesus wants is not just for our needs to be met. He wants us To be zealous for closeness with him. I think it'll be clear as we read the rest of the passage. We'll go ahead and read from 19 on through verse 22. Jesus says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. In other words, I'm not telling you this because I hate you guys. I love you. That's why I'm telling you this, and I want you to be zealous and repent. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So he just talked about how he wants these Christians to come to him to satisfy their needs. And what he says is if you come to me, he doesn't say, I'll give you the money you need, I'll give you the clothes you need, I'll give you the the vision you need. Only he says, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. We'll fellowship together. You will know me, and I will know you, and we'll be close. That's the need beneath all the other needs. Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To understand what he's getting at, think back to the last time you were truly desperate. You had a need and it was a truly desperate need. You knew that you could not figure out how to solve the problem or how to gain the provision you needed, whatever it was. When's the last time all of your resources in this world were exhausted and you were at the end of your rope and you that desperately had to cling to God to save you, protect you, provide for you, guide you, take care of you in some way. I think we've all probably had those times. So get, get a specific one in your mind. And I will bet that that is also the time that you were the very closest to the Lord. If you turn toward him in that deep need, I'll bet that that was one of the mountaintop experiences of closeness with him. That is usually the way it works. Jesus wants, if we're wanting to give him what he wants this Christmas, he wants zeal from his churches. He doesn't want lukewarmth. He wants zeal. Where does that zeal come from? Are we supposed to just try to generate it? Can you just make yourself zealous? Be zealous for the Lord. Can you just do that? Well, no, probably not. Do we need like pep rally type church gatherings to pump up the jam, and get everybody excited? Is that where the zeal comes from? Well, not if if you look in the passage. The zeal comes from the needs. It's a false sense of well-being. I don't need anything. Married with an, an ignorance of the true need beneath the surface that leads to being lukewarm. But a true sense of our need, put together with A real desire for true well-being that leads to zeal for Jesus Christ. The need is the door. When, When he says back in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's these needs that these, how did he describe them? Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked people. That was the door he was knocking at. He was saying, that's where I'll meet you. That's where you will find fellowship with me. Go there to that point of your deepest need, and I will meet you there, and I will satisfy your deepest needs. That's what he wants. So we're digging underneath the tree. We've been trying to give Jesus good gifts this Christmas, and here's this one more package, and we unwrap it, and we see that's what he wants. He wants us to zealously go to Jesus Christ, to meet all of our needs through fellowship with him. That's what he wants from us. He wants you to go to him with your need, to receive from him true provision, because you can't go anywhere else to get that need met. And so we close all these sermons, not on a theoretical note, but a really practical one. This is actionable stuff. Right now we can do this. And so we're going to pray in just a moment, and I just want you to think genuinely, what is it that you've sensed that you need right now? Couldn't have timed that music cue any better. What is it that you need right now? It doesn't have to be the top number one need, because sometimes that can be paralyzing. I don't know what's the biggest need. He's not a genie in the bottle. You don't have to get it just right. But what is something that you need, something that you've been stressing over, something that's been weighing heavily on you? And we will go to Jesus in prayer right now, and you will have time to go to him in prayer. Take that need to him. Trust him to meet you there and to give you what you need. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, while we're each thinking and praying, I just on behalf of your church here, we don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus. We love Jesus. We, we admit that our zeal for him often is lukewarm. We're often just so busy and distracted, and we, we don't think like this in our day-to-day lives all that often. But thank you for your word and thank you that we're thinking this way now and so I just pray for your holy spirit to fill each one of us and bring to mind what what are our needs and what areas of our life are we wretched pitiable poor blind and naked and we want to come to Jesus so that we could be so that we could buy gold refined by fire and be truly rich, white garments so that we could clothe ourselves and our shame be covered, salve to anoint our eyes so that we could truly see. And please make it clear to us what we need to pray about right now. And we're asking not just for these needs to be fulfilled, but for fellowship with Jesus himself. So we are looking to you, Jesus, to be the fulfillment of all of our needs now in your name. Amen.